This is Eddie Sato, former Imagineer and voice of Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Last call for the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney. With your hosts, L. John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming in theaters and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. How you doing? It's Al John Go, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist and guitar player. You can email me, aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're on all of those platforms. Uh, Al John, how are you? Uh, I am doing wonderful. Um, the art. Okay. Let me tell you this. My daughter, our daughter, um, has been wanting to climb into bed with us. Now she is waking up in the middle of the night. It happened last night as we record this four o'clock in the morning, I hear stuff falling down around the house and I go, Oh no. Oh no. Here she comes. <laughs> and of course hey. it, it scared the bejesus out of my wife. She was like, ah, because <laughs> I heard it and I, and I, the first thing, you know, I, I didn't say anything. I was like, the first thing is, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take care of this. And then all of a sudden she appears out of nowhere and makes us, uh, makes a sound. And then my wife opens her eyes and it's just like, you know, like the shining come play with us. <laughs> <You know? laughs> She's like, ah! and then I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know? So I, I, I got scared out of my, my, uh, my, well, my PJs get, last used, night, so. get used to it. Get used to it now. <laughs> I know. Uh, but there, there she is. She's like a phantom in the night now, knocking over stuff yeah. in the middle of the house. You so. know, it's, I, I have to tell you a funny story. Okay. Uh, uh, our oldest uh, uh, was, uh, I think she was four. Mm-hmm. She was four years old. Uh, and she came into our bed uh, the night or early morning when the Northridge earthquake hit oh, Los Angeles yeah. in 1994. Yeah. And, uh, and because she came into, into our bed and got into bed with us, uh, she uh, kind of woke us up a little bit and then the earthquake hit. So she oh, was man. with us. She was with us because our, our other daughter hadn't been born yet. Mm-hmm. So she was with us when that earthquake hit. And I have to tell you, I grabbed onto her and was thrown out of bed. That's how powerful it was. Oh, my goodness. You know, they said our building lifted up uh, 18 to 24 inches off the ground as the shock waves came through. Oh, you know? my goodness. Yeah. That, so, that, that's um, tremendous. So it, it was it was kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, fortuitous. You know, that she came in before that hit. I was glad she was with us when that earthquake hit. Oh uh, yeah, I would I would think so. I mean, that is insane. But I remember I remember reports of that earthquake and that's a that's a lot of damage yeah. right there. It, it was it was nasty. Uh mm. we were only I think as the crow flies, I think we were like uh maybe 
three or five miles from the epicenter, which oh. is very close, you know, so we, we really felt it, but, oh. uh, but all I can say is, uh, welcome to parenthood. Oh, uh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Your, your children will be wandering into your bedroom in the middle of the night. That's know? wonderful. I can't, I can't wait. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, yeah. no, but the, that's great. We have a lot of really cool things actually going on. We have an awesome guest that's waiting in the wings. Yes, we do. Um, and uh, that is uh, Brett Iwin, yes. the voice of Mickey Mouse. That's right. Uh, he is um, getting his vocal cords in, uh, in tune for us uh, in the green room. So we're looking forward to that. I also wanted to mention, mm-hmm. Al John, uh, I just had an update done to my website, davidfoster.com. Yes. yes. And, and I added uh, a tab with some of my uh, sculpture work. I, I'm, I'm checking it out right now. And this is amazing, Dave. I mean, not only uh, will we, you know, you're a wonder behind the typewriter. Be, uh, listen, I'm dating myself behind the typewriter, um, <laughs> behind the keyboard. <laughs> Golly gee willikers. Um, yeah, that sounds, that uh, sounds fantastic. Like, Aw, shucks. <laughs> and uh, we have that. I mean, that's just fantastic. And then of course, uh, of all your stuff with art, but my goodness, these sculptures are so true to life, Dave. This is amazing stuff. And look at you with a chisel. My God, I, it's been it's been just a matter of days, actually, that I've I've seen any type of woodworking chisels. <laughs> but now you're doing there it. You go. Well, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, you, you know, you've got you've got some uh, incredibly talented craftsmen at Gibson, yes, who are who are doing uh, phenomenal work with yes. wood. Yes, uh, you know, I could only aspire to to that level of craftsmanship. But uh, this is this is sort of personal art that I've enjoyed doing over the years. Yeah. And uh, and when I was having uh, my website updated, which I do every couple, three months or so, uh, you know, adding new stuff, um, I decided to uh, add uh, that artwork uh, so yeah. people could see uh, a different facet of uh, of me. So th- that's great. So go to davidbosser.com and click on author and there's a little drop down that says dave's artwork and you can check out the artistic interpretation of these true to life fish and you know wildlife that you have here and this is absolutely amazing. I mean, I know that you're also quite the fisherman, so this is kind of like a passion, you know, passion project for you. Well, I'm not really a fisherman. I like to carve fish. Okay. These are all carved out of wood, uh, and uh, and I use found objects like driftwood and uh-huh. and that kind of stuff uh, that I find along the beaches of Maine or uh, Southern California. Uh, and also, uh, I have to tell you, I like eating fish. Oh, 100%. I'm with and you. I, and fishing wise, I can't remember the last time I went fishing, but I can remember the last time I pulled lobster traps in Maine. Oh, that's amazing. It was, I, it was really the summer before the uh, pandemic hit. Did, uh, yeah. I, I went out with a friend up in Maine on his boat and we pulled a bunch of uh, lobster traps. And by the way, in Maine, if you live on the water in Maine, mm-hmm. you are allowed to have, I think it's five or six of your own lobster traps that you can put in the water off your property. Awesome. W- without having a lobster license because, you know, the lobster fisheries uh, uh, fishery in Maine is highly regulated so mm-hmm. that they don't deplete it. 
you know? Right. And so there's only so many licenses that they issue and, you know, there, there's all kinds of regulations on how they, you know, lobsters that they can keep. And we actually followed that, you know, there's a little device that measures the length of the tail and you always throw back the females because the females are the ones laying the eggs and, you know, uh, keeping the population of the lobster going. And, uh, and so we followed all that. We, we pulled probably, I think it was 35 lobsters and we probably threw back a little over half because they were either small or female. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. You know, um, I would love to go up there at some point. That's one place I've never been. I've been to, uh, the, I've been to every state except for Hawaii and Maine. And so one of these days I'll have to go. All right. All right. But I will. Yeah, go ahead. I, and I was going to say, aside from people visiting davidbosser.com under author, there's a little pull down menu, as Al John mentioned, that says Dave's artwork. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, looking at some of that. And we also need to mention our contest because we have we have a contest going on. What's happening with the contest? Yeah, contest is great. We've got a few entries already, and we need you to go ahead and register to win the Claude Coates Walt Disney Imagineering book that Dave had penned for Claude Coates' career, and it's been signed by his son, Alan, who's also a contributor to that project. And a very nice guy. Check the show archives. Uh, cha-ching. And then uh, also by Dave. So uh, you've got to be part of the um, intercontinental United States or just the United States, I guess we can send it to Alaska if, if people want or Hawaii. Well, but, you know, so yeah. it ha- I, I mean, unfortunately, because of the way the postal system operates, it, it's cost prohibitive for us to send it outside of the United States. Yes. So, so we can do Hawaii, we can do Alaska, we can do the continental United States, but we really can't do it overseas because it's just too much. Yeah. You know, uh, for the postage, it's just craziness. You yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, so our apologies to our friends overseas but i promise at some point we're going to figure out some way of doing some kind of giveaway to uh our global listeners absolutely so there you have it um we have until the end of the month to to get things cooking there Uh, so you've got a few more days as you listen to this show so go ahead and register to win and all you have to do is click that uh that pinned uh link there to our website or to our facebook page rather and then you can follow all of our socials and that'll register you uh, you to win. And the more you, you follow our social media accounts, the more chances you have to win. So uh, go ahead and do that. And before we get into some of our headlines, Dave, I've, I've watched a few things this week. Uh, one of them being I saw the I finally saw the Showtime documentary on the Go-Go's, which was one of my favorite bands. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds like uh, it was uh, it was a good. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Allison Elwood is a director. It's 98 minutes long. But of course, it talks about the real life story of the Go-Go's from their humble beginnings as a punk band that didn't know how to play their instruments, seeing the sex pistols for the first time and getting inspired to play punk and then all the way to their top 40 reign as the first ever number one hit band of female rockers that played their own instruments all female band of course they were the girl band the the girl girl band band. yeah it it, it was it was the go-go's and it was bananarama yeah bananarama and um well even before that um there were the runaways with joan jett 
Um, That's right. And yes. Lita Ford, but they didn't have the number one success that the Go-Go's had, unfortunately. Yeah, they were really a pop. I mean, the Go-Go's were really top of the charts. They were top of the charts for, for a few years there in the 80s, and they still continue to tour today. And uh, so that is definitely a documentary. It came out in 2020, but uh, finally was able to see it in its entirety. So a great show. And then I also saw Spiderhead, which is the uh, Netflix show that came out uh, a few weeks ago. It stars, of course, Thor, Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller from Top Gun, and uh, Janae Smollett. And she was wonderful as well. And it's all about uh, a place where convicts are offered the chance to volunteer as guinea pigs in this medical experiment on different drugs that were capable of generating feelings of love or euphoria getting injected with that uh, kind of with a pack, a stem pack in the back of their spine. And uh, it is quite interesting. These kind of a rat in a cage kind of experiments, you know, is this, is this a movie or is is it a limited series? Nope. It's a movie. 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 It's uh, under two hours. It's uh, it's got mediocre reviews uh, on IMDb, but Uh because uh, the wife and I are so big fans of Chris Hemsworth, we watched it and uh, we actually enjoyed it. It was good. So, I mean, I give it, I give it a good seven, six and a half out of 10. So it was good. It wasn't a waste of time. It was actually poses a lot of interesting questions, but, um, yeah, I think there was a good twist at at the end and I I enjoyed it. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. I, I have, I have been so busy the last week. I didn't have a chance to, to watch too much stuff and I haven't been to the movies in, uh, uh, in like two weeks, Mm -hmm. but, um, I did watch some continuing episodes of city homicide, which was the Australian TV series, um, on freebie, which is the ad supported channel for, uh, Amazon prime, uh, which I think used to be, I am, DB TV. Correct. Which they've rebranded as freebie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's uh, the final episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I saw that too. Uh, which I thought was fantastic. They, they wrapped up that very nicely. And I, I, I really enjoyed uh, the uh, limited series of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I hope that there's going to be more of it. I do too. I really enjoyed it. You know, I think it's one of those things you have to be very careful with how you treat legacy characters Um, in Obi-Wan and in Boba Fett. um, I thought I thought this was probably the best of the. Well, I take that back. It's probably the second best of the standalone uh, Star Wars Disney Plus series. I do like The Mandalorian a lot. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, The Mandalorian is really at the top for me so far. Yeah. But I really did like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I would encourage anybody, even if you're not a Star Wars fan, which, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, you know, my my youngest daughter uh, and my wife aren't big Star Wars fans at all, uh, and they really enjoyed it, especially because the first episode gave a whole backstory to the character. So you kind of understand, you know, the character and where the character is coming from and how it fits into the star Wars universe uh, before the first episode begins. And I thought that was very brilliant of them to do that because it does bring in people who are not fully up to speed on the star Wars franchise at 100% enjoy it without having to sit through. It's not a heavy lift. In other words, you don't have to invest yourself in the entire star Wars saga to enjoy this standalone show, uh, which does it stands by itself. And uh, I do want more of that. I thought there were some great uh, things about it, but I definitely love the fact that John Williams music cues were put into this to really punch up 
all the great emotional connections between both of the the Darth Vader and, and Obi Wan. I'm, I'm spoiler and, and, alert, but there you go. Yeah, it's yeah there. but but you know something. I also have to say that the production values off the charts on these oh, on these shows. It's tremendous. just off the charts. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I did actually watch uh, the first two episodes of The Old Man with Jeff Bridges. Oh yeah, uh, which is a new FX uh, uh, series, and I'm watching it by the way. Uh, via uh, Hulu, uh, and uh, I'm just trying to pull up what I had here. I had it someplace. Yeah, the the, um, the promos have been everywhere for that show. Yeah, they they really have been. And uh, just so our audience knows, uh, the show is about a character Jeff Bridges plays, uh, Dan Chase, who uh, absconded from the CIA and lives off the grid. When an assassin arrives and tries to take Chase out, the old operative learns that uh, to ensure his future, he now must reconcile his past. And the FBI's Harold Harper is called uh, called on to hunt him down because of his complicated past with the rogue future uh, fugitive. Mm. So um, Harold Harper is played by John Lithgow. Uh, who's always fantastic. He's just an incredible actor. Uh, and I have to say, the first episode is a bit on the slow side, but it's sort of setting it all up. Okay. You know, and, uh, and so I would say to people, if you're going to watch this, watch both ep- both of the, uh, uh, you know, the first and second episode together, mm-hmm. because it really does uh, get uh, very, uh, action packed uh, in the second episode. And it, I, I really enjoyed it. I like Jeff Bridges. Um, I, I, you know, I, I watched uh, pretty much every movie he's in. Uh, and, you know, many people are uh, fans of the big Lebowski that Jeff Bridges was in. Uh, you also, uh, I, I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I watched uh um, hell or high water, right. uh, which starred Jeff Bridges. So, uh, it's, it's a terrific, uh, uh, you know, series so far. Uh, so that's, uh, the old man with Jeff Bridges on FX, uh, and I'm watching it via Hulu. Jeff Bridges is just an explosive actor. I think he's, yeah. just, he's got, he's got so much range and he's commands every, every frame that he he's in, he just commands the camera, you know? So, yeah. Love Jeff Bridges. Hey, what are you guys looking at? Uh, what are you guys streaming there? Let us know and uh, send us an email and maybe your review will be uh, talked about here on the next episode of Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Oh, man, Dave. <laughs> why? Why? Why do, why do I have to start with these type of things? Lightyear. At the box office, behind the Pixar movie's family problem, that is the headline from the Hollywood Reporter. Toy Story spinoff is suffering in theaters thanks to brand confusion, fierce competition from the far-right politicians. Uh, I think they just stepped in it again, Dave. Yeah, I I have to say, Al John, I do think they stepped in it because, you know, I think we talked about this. You know, they made a choice to cut the same-sex kiss out of the film. Yeah, we talked about it last week. And then they capitulated and they put it back in, which made a lot of news, you know. 
And and the story that that's happening now at Disney is that any decision they make, they seem to capitulate on because if anybody screams loud enough, they're going to change their mind. And that's just a bad message to send out to people, I think. Um, you know, if they cut that uh, scene from the movie because it didn't further the story, uh, you know, that that's on the filmmakers to make those choices. If it was cut because there were executives who, you know, were uncomfortable or didn't feel like it should be in there, that's a different story. But the fact that they cut it and then people screamed about it in, in relation to the whole uproar down in Florida uh, with the don't say gay bill. Uh, and then they put it back in. It just further inflamed and, and, and promoted that story. And so I'm not surprised that this didn't open number one because there was a dozen territories in the Middle East uh, and other parts of the world that said they weren't going to show the movie, yeah. right? So that impacts your box office and that's bad business, mm -hmm. I think. And, uh, and because of that, that made the news which further put it in front of people in this country. And I think you had a lot of parents who decided, uh, you know, a lot of conservative parents who decided I'm not going to go see that movie. So, so, you know, the fact that it opened second in second place to Jurassic Park Dominion, which was in its second weekend, which, mm -hmm. you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, I think Jurassic Park Dominion what has eighty seven percent. It's not super high, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's up there, but anyway, I, I, this is an unfortunate situation, and it's hurting the business. Mm -hmm. You know, if they had if they had just stood their ground and said we made this decision and that's it. Um, I, I think the movie probably would have opened, uh, to, uh, number one. It had that, uh, it definitely had that potential for sure. You know, yeah, there's that, I mean, you know, they were estimating what 70 to $80 million opening weekend and it opened at 51 million. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's a huge, you know, shortfall. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I like Chris Evans, you know, I think a lot of people look at Buzz Lightyear and they think of Tim Allen. And um, so I think there's yeah, a but, weird thing going but, but, on there. But, you know, you know what, though, I, I, I understand what they're doing here. You know, uh, Buzz Lightyear was a real astronaut is what they're saying. Yeah, that's right. And because he did all this fantastic stuff, they made a toy about him. Sure. So, so for me, I, I, I'm totally fine with Chris Evans doing the voice of Buzz Lightyear mm -hmm. uh, because he's not the toy version. Tim yeah. Allen is the toy version. Oh yeah. And I, and I, and I see that as well, but I know that they're, they said in this, that there's brand confusion and some other things to go along with it and different decisions that they're making. I mean, look, I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm going to reserve my, uh, my thoughts on the film until I can actually go out and see it. But, yeah, um, I, I mean, look, I'm going to go out and see it as well. I just wasn't going to go on opening weekends. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, again, there there's a lot of cross currents and, uh, you know, under the surface here that that affected why it didn't open number one. And it's really kind of a shame. Mm, it's true. Well, I tell you what has been number one at the box office for quite some time is Top Gun Maverick, Dave, and it's looking to fly past 900 million in the latest box office milestone. It is huge, especially for the pandemic era film. 
Um, you and I both saw the film. Uh, we were both yeah. blown away by it, and it still dominates. Um, you know, what, what are what are your thoughts on on that, and and how it's doing just globally? It seems to me I, like that's a, a a film that resonates with with everybody around the world. Yeah, I mean, look, Top Gun is smoking. You know, it is a fantastic summer movie. This is what what going to the movies in the summertime is all about. It's this kind of a film. It's a feel good movie. It's action packed. It's so well done. I mean, kudos to everybody at Paramount and to Tom Cruise and the entire cast, Jerry Bruckheimer, all those people involved with this because it's such a great movie. And by the way, Al John, when this show drops, uh, I think the movie will be past a billion dollars. It's going to pass the billion dollar mark, uh, which is phenomenal. It really is. I mean, this is this is the biggest opening for a Tom Cruise movie. This is going to be the first Tom Cruise movie that crosses a billion dollars at the box office. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, and there's a lot of repeat business going on with this movie because it's so good. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I, I, I really, I agree with that. It is definitely a movie you want to go out and see, especially in IMAX. So, go out there and check it out. Support your local movie theater. Stranger Things Volume Four doing big business for Netflix, Dave. And uh, are you a Stranger Things fan? Yes, and and we've been watching the episodes. Uh, I should have put this on my list because. Um, we're watching them one at a time. Oh, uh, we're not binge watching. We're watching them one at a time. Okay. And, uh, and so we got through the first uh, grouping that dropped. Uh, and the second, uh, the second group is dropping on what day? Is it July? Oh, gosh. It is. It's, 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 it, it, uh, it says right here somewhere about well, the, volume it, it two season, streaming July 1st. So it's right yes, around the corner. So it's dropping later this uh, this week. Uh, but uh, it's really, I, I, I mean, a great series and it's really well done, uh, I have to say. Uh, have you watched it? Okay. So I want to, uh, but I am still stuck in season two. Oh, okay. Um, because right. I'm trying, you know, when I when I watch the show, I want to watch it, you know, uh, with my wife. Sure. And it's so hard to get her invested into Stranger Things. And I don't know why. First of all, I mean, we saw Firestarter, for heaven's sake, a couple of weeks ago. Because, <laughs> you know, we love horror and all this. But she is just, for whatever reason, just like, nope, I'm not into Stranger Things. I don't want to get into it. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like horror and aliens and everything that we love. You know, you like James Cameron? Surely you'd like this show. And she she just is has an aversion to it. So for whatever reason. Uh, so it's difficult. But so I'll get I'll get through it eventually. Well, I, I have to. I'm not going to I'm not going to blow it here for you. But I have to say, it's really amazing. Um, uh, some of the story points that are being revealed here mm-hmm. uh, in, in uh, uh, season four, volume one, uh, the end of uh, volume one, the last episode that, that we watched was, was incredible. Uh, I mean, it reveals a lot uh, about the um, the other world. Yeah, uh, upside and- down. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, 
thoroughly enjoyed it. So oh, that's it's really awesome. terrific. Hey, another thing we need to see this week, Dave, is the Elvis biopic. Yes, I, I've heard nothing but good things. I uh, Some friends on Facebook uh, uh, posted that they were blown away by the movie. They they loved it. Uh, did Gibson Guitar have anything to do with uh, uh, we the did. Elvis movie? We sure All did. Right. We actually right. had released a Elvis collection of guitars um, for prior to the film's release, and they're selling like hotcakes. And, of course, we have a very big history with, with Elvis making his guitars all the way back since uh, he was you know doing films so during that era of, of elvis and filmmaking gibson was right there with him so it was really cool to to kind of see this movie and to have a little bit of a part uh play a part in not only the career of this legend but also uh uh in the film which is really cool that, that's fantastic i i can't wait to see it absolutely all righty then so We've got uh, one more last thing happened to do with Netflix as well. This is a little segue. Dave, they just cut 300 employees and a new round of layoffs. About 216 staffers were impacted here working stateside. And that is huge. Um, And that's on top of the 150 they laid off a month ago. This is true. Uh, It says, quote, we know these two rounds of layoffs have been very hard for everyone, creating a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. We plan to return to a more normal course of business going forward, and we cut back in some areas. So we also continue to invest significant amounts in our content and people over the next 18 months. So our employee base is banned to grow by another 1.5K to 11.5K, Hastings and Sandros wrote. And uh, those are the the folks in charge there over at uh, Netflix. So. Aye. Well, I, I, you know, I have to say that what, what, what's happening now, cause the streaming, the streaming business turned into an arms race uh, between all these d- different streaming services, spending ridiculous amounts of money to try and get as much content as possible on their streaming services. Well, I, I have to say what's happening now is, is a natural evolution of this. Uh, you're seeing uh, a contraction. You're seeing a focus on quality over quantity. Uh, which they have to do. And I think that the next uh, shoe to drop in this whole streaming wars is going to be a consolidation. It has to, uh, you know, because people will only have so many streaming services, mm-hmm. you know, so who are they going to be, you know, who's going to be the big survivors out there? Uh, I think it's going to be more integrated companies. I think Netflix mm. model uh, is, it is somewhat of a flawed model because, you know, once their viewership matures, uh, you know, how much can they spend every year uh, and be a profitable company, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I don't know. It, it, it's certainly going to be interesting. And like I said, uh, this is just part of the evolution of the streaming services. You know, you got a, a million of them out there. There's going to be a pullback. There's going to be a contraction. You're going to see a consolidation. Uh, and you know what? Five or six or eight years from now, there, there's going to be, you know, it's like network television. There's going to be, you know, four or five strong players or, you know, three to five strong players. Who knows? Oh, it's going to get bloody. I think it's going to get bloody because how many more franchise marquee franchises are there left for someone to get hold of and draw and bring eyeballs to their service? Right. How many more are there? 
you know, yeah. and so and and, the, and and frankly, there's just too much content out there, Al John. Mm-hmm. You you can't possibly watch it. And and some of the stuff I tried over, you know, during the pandemic was crap. Yeah. You know, there there was some terrible stuff. I mean, there was there was one series, uh, and I can't even remember the name of it now. Uh, it, it it starred uh, Patrick Dempsey. You know, mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, McDreamy. Yeah. You know, from Grey's Anatomy. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was such an awful series that we actually watched the entire thing because we were laughing through it and, oh. and just it, like entertaining ourselves during the lockdown. You know, oh, so I, I mean, honestly, they really do need to focus on quality. And that's the one thing I have to say about, you know, shows like The Mandalorian and Obi-Wan Kenobi is that, you know, they're they're delivering on the quality end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, on shows like that. And I haven't seen some of the new Star Trek stuff on Paramount Plus, but you have. Yes. And I'm imagining the same thing there, right? Oh, yeah. It's quality stuff over there, you know? Yeah. So I think all the stuff that, that they're doing on Star Trek, and that's what I'm talking about. Like the franchise of Star Trek itself is rife for storytelling. There's all kinds of stories and series to be made there with great talent, talented writers, actors, and directors. And so, and a, and a blockbuster franchise. Uh, so the storytelling can continue. I'm looking forward to seeing the new adventures of Captain Kirk. It's only a matter of time. It's yeah. only a matter of time. And they're, they're, they're rebooting and soft rebooting these franchises and, and making great content. So I feel like it, it's a no brainer. You know, what are they going to do? They're trying to have the Peacock run on just law and order reruns over the past uh, 25 years, you know, 30 years. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going over there because, you know, clearly people didn't stick around to see Saved by the Bell. You know, right. You right. Know, Saved by the Bell didn't save Peacock or the WWE uh, content didn't save Peacock. I don't know what's going to happen there because there's honestly nothing there for, for me that I want to watch. And yeah. I gave Halloween Kills a, an opportunity to, to watch that. But I'm going to drop Peacock. I'm going to probably end up dropping Paramount, too, because I can't keep up with, with all the stuff that's being on it. And I have to be selective. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, something like, you know, for me, what I'm surprised about with Universal on their Peacock service is that they they have a, a really deep library at they universal do. i they mean do. a really deep library and they have stuff yeah the unfortunate thing is is that they have stuff in their library that some of their executives don't even know they have no no that's true yeah. that's true i mean just the universal monster stuff is amazing but i own a lot of it you know so it's like i i own a lot of that content um i still have physical medium i'm probably gonna get rid of it at some point but still you know uh, it's there you know, I, 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 I need new stuff. And I think that's that's the the thing that, that it's intriguing. Like I talk about wanting all this classic content uh, on Disney Plus, but I own a lot of those treasured uh, DVDs and things that you worked on, Dave, and I own the physical media of it. And it's yeah. all it's nice to know it's always there, but it's I'm I'm there for the new stuff. I'm there to watch some of the new stuff in the films and, and watch Doctor Strange again and do all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting. Let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Because you have the physical media, uh, isn't it just easier to just go into your streaming channel and say, Oh, I want to bring up, you know, the Little Mermaid oh, yeah. uh, from nineteen eighty nine on Disney Plus and just watch it on on the service as opposed to pulling your DVD uh, out of a 
shelf and, you know, putting it into your DVD player, it just seems more convenient to me uh, to, to be able to just, you know, pull it up on demand. Oh, it is. It's super convenient. You know, I was introducing our family to uh, episodes of goof troop and uh, all the goofy content this week. So that's what I opened up and it was so convenient rather than having to pull out the old Disney classics D's. Right. So I, I totally agree with that. But once again, you know, and, and thank goodness for Disney plus, because I can keep the kiddos entertained and, and watch the classic animated films and introduce them to new and old stuff. But, you know, I don't necessarily, it's, I think it's just a matter of priority. Like, you know, once again, what do I want to, to go into the archive and where can I find it? You know, right now I'm, I'm paying for, you know, Paramount and, and, uh, and Netflix, Netflix and, uh, and Disney plus and Paramount and all that. And it's like, I, I think I'm going to have to start, you know, trimming it down because I can't, I, I can't focus on all those streaming services and what they have to offer. I right. Have to, I have to prioritize. <laughs> right. Right. It's getting out of hand, Dave. It's getting out of hand. HBO plus yeah. it's getting out of hand. Well, and, and by the way, that that's what's going to happen because I mean, they've done surveys with, with, with people and I think it's like two and a half to three services is what people can support, yeah. you know? And, and I think you, you're going to get a lot of people who say, Oh, that new series is dropping on Apple. Okay. I'll have Apple for a month and I'll watch that series and then I'll cancel it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's, you're going to see a lot of that going on they have to grapple with that kind of uh, stuff because you know uh you want to hold on to those subscribers you don't want the attrition of you know people jumping around so yeah. uh, you know again there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the future yeah absolutely well uh i look forward to uh talking more about that uh with you and see which ones survive and which ones get eaten up it's all that content out there but I tell you uh, what we do have waiting patiently in the waiting room is the voice of Mickey Mouse, Brett Iwan. Let's get to that interview. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we've got a great guest, Brett Iwan, who is a voice artist and an illustrator, artist, graphic designer himself, uh, who does the voice of Mickey Mouse. He's the official voice of Mickey Mouse. And so I'm very excited to have uh, Brett on uh, with Al John and I. And Brett, I have to say, welcome to the Skull Rock podcast. Thank you. And you can hear our studio audience is going wild, <laughs> as they always do when I introduce a guest. Uh, but, you know, it's been uh, really a couple of years since I've actually seen you in person. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we've worked together. Uh, yes. I just want the audience to know that, that we, we, we did work together on a few projects when I was still at the studio. Yep. Uh, and, and it was always fun working with any of the voice actors because they're not only great people, but they're super talented. And it's always fun hearing, you know, friends doing character voices. I, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, yep. but I, I, before we get into all of the whole Mickey business, I really wanted to talk a little bit about the fact you were born and raised in Pasadena, California. How did you sort of get involved in art? What, what was your path to, to becoming an artist and then a voice artist? Yeah, uh, not usually uh, hand in hand oftentimes. Um, yeah, born and raised in Pasadena. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to come from a creative family. My grandfather owned a print shop here in Pasadena. 
Um, I was introduced to art classes at a very young age in at the Pasadena Armory Center for the Arts. Um, all of that kind of coinciding with my love of Disney, uh, specifically Disney animation. I grew up watching all the classic shorts, grew up watching all of Walt's shows and Disneyland and the world of color and all that. And I was just fascinated with him, his story, and the art that was coming out of the studios. Um, and so I kind of set my sights on the dream of being a Disney animator myself. I wanted to work for Disney. I wanted to be a part of creating that magic um, in an artistic capacity, especially. So, you know, I drew all the time. I, being in Southern California, there was a couple of times where we got to meet people who worked at the studio and they were always so gracious to extend advice and, and recommend books to read and, and drawing habits to, to start up with. And um, yeah, I just kind of always had a very clear direction on how to, how you went about uh, bettering yourself as an artist to potentially work for Disney. Um, as such, I eventually applied to art school at you know, the end of high school and I got into Ringling College of Art and Design, which at the time had a um, internship relationship with Walt Disney Feature Animation out of Orlando. Um, and so that was really appealing to me. Um, fortunately, during my time in college is kind of when traditional animation took a back seat to all the, the up and coming CG stuff that was happening. So I had to switch gears. I kind of turned my sights to more um, illustration, uh, storytelling, and, and then I even got a little bit interested in Imagineering and what they were doing with theme park design. Um, and although I was offered an internship at Imagineering upon graduation, it, it was an unpaid internship. It wasn't really what I thought was the best decision right out of school. Um, but I was offered a full-time job at Hallmark Greeting Cards. So I went that route, uh, worked at Hallmark Greeting Cards for five years. It was, you know, I kind of say it was almost like graduate school. It was surrounded by very talented people. Um, one person, in fact, had met Walt Disney on a, on a visit. Let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. When, when you took the job with Hallmark, are, are they based in, in Kansas City or St. Louis? Kansas, Kansas City. Kansas City. Uh, yeah. And it's Kansas City, Missouri? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Everybody thinks Kansas City is in Kansas. <laughs> Kansas that, that's not. a trick. It's a trick <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so you were in Kansas City, Missouri for five years. What for was that five like? Years. That, that was incredible, actually, because, again, huge Walt fan. So I knew of Walt's story in Kansas city, Missouri. Um, and it wasn't lost on me. I was, I was the nerd driving around town looking for the Disney family home and the former set of the Laughogram studio, um, the old Kansas city film ad or film slide company. I forget exactly what it was called, but you know, the, the, aver the advertising business, the advertising you, business. Yeah. 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 And, and, and did you find the building? Cause that building still exists, right? It does. Yeah. And yeah. I did. Uh, yeah. I remember I found the bank that Roy worked at too. So there's tons of history in that, in that city, not to mention union station where Walt jumped on the train and came out to Hollywood. Yeah. That's, um, that's pretty amazing. And did you go out to Marceline? I did on one trip. I made it, I made it out to Marceline. It was an unplanned stop, but I was driving and I saw the exit from Marceline and I was with my brother and I said, we got to stop. And he was like, just get off the road, <laughs> get off the road, pulled over. It was a Sunday. So the town was closed, but I got to see, you know, walk the main street and kind of take all that in. So it was a, it's a really cool place. I'm so glad that that was part of my journey to spend five years there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so like what made you leave Hallmark uh, and where did you go from there? Well, I was kind of 
enamored by Hallmark. And I saw myself kind of, you know, retiring from that job. I was going to be in it for the long haul. It was only because I got an email that totally changed the course of my career. And that email was forwarded on to me from my friend, Jamie, who is an animator at Pixar. Um, and she got this email. It was an internal email amongst Disney and Pixar. And it's the subject line said, do you want to be the voice of Mickey Mouse? And the email outlined the audition process that was taking place to find an understudy to work with Wayne Allwine, who was the voice of Mickey at the time and had been for 32 years. And um, he was and he was only the third person. Right. Yeah. Be, because because Walt famously originally did the voice of Mickey Mouse. And yep. then Jimmy McDonald, who was a, a sound guy uh, at yep. the studio. Right. Yep. A sound effects guy. And, yep. and he did the voice after Walt just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, he was just so busy. Yeah. So Jimmy took it over and then Jimmy passed it on to Wayne. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was this this kind of. Uh, uh, tradition, unplanned tradition of finding the voice of Mickey within the studio. And uh, it was explained to me that, you know, they had gone the route of doing the typical agents search and kind of took in a lot of submissions and they, for whatever reason, hadn't found what they were looking for. And, and so Rick Dempsey, who's the SVP of character voices said, you know, why don't we look within the company and just see, we, we kind of happened to find somebody that way the past two times. Let's, let's look. Um, and although I wasn't working at the company, you know, the, the plan did kind of work where it, it fell into my lap. So, um, yeah, that's what led me from Hallmark. I, I got this email. I had at that point, I had never done voice acting before. I'd, I'd done acting. I'd done singing and all of that stuff in school. Um, I was a theater kid um, and always interested in it, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, on my radar professionally. And, and you weren't classically trained, but you you yeah. had more training than most. I guess right? For, from doing yeah. like school plays and things like that. Right. Yeah. That. And I, and I also say that I think my Mickey knowledge came into play a lot in that. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of great, you know, it, it worked out in my favor that maybe I didn't have classic training in terms of acting, but I knew Mickey, I knew that character, I knew his story. And so it, it was not a challenge for me to tap into um, his characteristics, his personality. And I had, I had been listening to Mickey my entire life. I'd listened to, to Walt, Jimmy, and Wayne, especially Wayne with the, uh, you know, the plethora of projects he worked on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that just, that was kind of, you know, it, it uh, informed my, my audition, I guess. And, and yeah. So, so let, let, let me just, before we go forward, let me just step back a little bit. Cause I'm curious to know, like, what were you doing during that five years at Hallmark where were you just doing strictly illustrations or were you also writing some of the stuff where you're coming up with funny, <laughs> you know, like we, you know, quips for cards or what were you doing? I, I, I wish I was that um, witty to have written some of those cards. Um, no, I, well, when I first started, um, I was hired, this is kind of embarrassing, I was hired as a cute artist. Um, they were looking for people to fill the role of cute artists, which was kind of something that had, you know, it was just kind of, they were, they were losing the tradition of it. Um, you know, Hallmark's known for their fuzzy bunnies and all of that stuff. Sure. And, and literally that was what they're looking for is um, people to come in and learn from these artists who had been doing it for 35, 40, 50 years even. Um, and, and I loved it because it was where it may not have been my first choice in styling. Um, it did allow me um, a, a certain amount of storytelling within the artwork. It wasn't just, uh, you know, some graphic shape or icon or whatever. I was, you know, 
get, got to paint these beautiful watercolor and gouache scenes that uh, were kind of more in the traditional scope. And like I said, I learned from amazing people. So yeah, I started, I started by painting fuzzy bunnies that um, eventually led to a stint in the licensing studio. So I got to learn the ins and outs of working with licensees like Disney or Warner brothers. And yeah. And, and Disney's had a long, has had a long uh, licensing history with Hallmark. I, I mean, yeah, it's, really primarily uh they're the greeting card company that that has done the disney characters for decades right yeah, and, and would you would you almost feel like the hallmark company is similar in tone to disney as far as having employees that have been there for 20 30 40 i mean you know bernie mattinson's on on the verge of 70 years at disney yeah so you know, <laughs> that's no, I, I think I really did recognize a lot of those similarities. And that was one of the things that made it so fun to work there. Um, I mean, it kind of came into its own around the same time as Disney. Um, and, you know, their, their corporate headquarters um, are in this area of Kansas City that Hallmark owns. And it's called Crown Center. And in itself, it was, it was almost like a little mini Epcot concept, right? Where you had the corporate headquarters and then you had a shopping mall for the employees and you had hotels and restaurants. And it was this community that was built for the benefit of the Hallmark employees. Um, JC Hall was very much interested in a lot of the things Walt was um, in terms of forward thinking and, and innovation. Um, and so you definitely witnessed that in a lot of the business practices. And, and does um, Hallmark still own that whole area? Yeah, they do. They do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow, I, and that's I know, pretty wild. you know, over the years, I think it's become a, a little difficult as so many places have faced difficulties recently. Um, so they've started to lease out a little bit more of their spaces, but yeah, they, it's still, it's still owned by Hallmark and Hallmark is still a, a family owned company, which is pretty amazing. You know, yeah. the grandson of the founder, JC Hall is the, the current CEO. So the third generation, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's amazing. There's very few family owned companies that survive past the third generation generally, yeah. you know, it, it's like, you know, especially very successful company. I mean, you could you know, off of, off of one hand, I could say Ford, because you know yep. the Ford family still involved. Uh, you know Bill Ford is chair uh, chairman yeah. of the company. Um, the Smucker's Jellies, uh, the two cousins, the Smucker cousins are are still running that. Kind of, so it's a family run operation. You know, it, it, and you know maybe Mars. You know, Forrest oh, Mars, uh, yeah, his yep. his kids and and grandkids are running that operation. But that's a private company. You know, yeah. so it's very very few. So that's it's really so amazing. Third. Thir Third generation and they're still going. They're still going. Yeah. And and it was fun because, you know, and you hear this so much from people who worked at Disney around Walt's time, how they would, you know, they have stories of running into him in the hallways or whatever. And it that was very much similar to Hallmark. I'd ride the elevator with uh, you know, uh Dave or Don Hall Jr. And <laughs> it's just like, oh hey, how's it going? And, and would they would they know you? Uh th or they may not have known me personally, but or they did make a point to be very personable to them, the but, but they were yeah. friendly. They would say, oh, hi, how are you? Ab you know, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah. And that, yeah, it was, it was a warm family environment uh, working there. So, yeah. And, and by the way, I would point out Disney is just a corporate entity. Now uh, yeah. there's no family members involved, you know, yeah. and uh, Roy Disney was the set Roy E Disney was the second generation and it, it, 
dissipated after that. You know, yeah. it, it, yeah, the, the third generation that didn't really get involved, even though yeah. a couple of Roy's kids did work for the company for a little bit, they didn't stick to it. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's gotta be so hard, uh, especially up against a legacy, like the Disney family uh, with yeah. their name, you know, and it's, at a certain point it gets specifically with Disney, it got so big. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a challenging situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so uh, what else were you doing during that five years? You were doing the cutesies, the the cutes. I did the the cutes. I did a a licensing stint, which was pretty cool. I, I, um, yeah, I got a, I had a little run doing some concept work for keepsake ornaments, which was a pretty big deal for the company. Um, And and towards the later years, I, I joined um, a group that was called the Blink Studio. And, and what that was, was a small team of artists who were tasked with kind of staying on the, the edge of emerging trends. It was kind ah. of the group that was responsible for researching and then somewhat pushing the envelope of styling that uh, Hallmark traditionally hadn't done. Um, so so more, cool. more, ed- more edgy stuff that more, was more like, edgy, an in- yeah. like they would put it out under an imprint, not necessarily under the Hallmark name. Absolutely. They yeah. tried that a couple of times. Yeah. And then, and, and some of it would be integrated into existing lines within the company, but, um, it was cool because it did feel very, um, free, I guess, you know, we weren't mm-hmm. totally confined to the traditional, um, uh, mandates. And, and so we, we had some, some room, some wiggle room to explore a little bit, uh, which was really cool. And, and, and that's where I was when I got that email. Um, and truth be told, once I had found out about the auditions and, and sent my, in my audition, um, you know, that was, <laughs> that's what I was obsessed with. I'd walk into work and pretend I was researching for future <laughs> projects, but I was really just Googling like voice of Mickey mouse. Is anyone talking about it? What's going on? Uh, so. how, how long did it take from the time you submit? Cause you, you, you did an audition tape, right? I did. Well, they had, the funny thing was they had set up a phone line to take in submissions, which is not the traditional route for, for auditions. Wow. Um, so I literally called the phone number said, Hey, this is, Brett Iwin, here's my Mickey audition. I hope you call me back and uh, left the, the audition, which the audition itself was a, um, uh, you know, they had provided an MP3 and it was selections from Walt's performances and Wayne's and they were looking for a voice match. So they just wanted you to, you know, voice match that provided MP3. So um, that's what I did. Um, it was probably, gosh, I, I'd say a good, maybe month and a half, two months before I heard anything. And when I finally did hear something, um, it was by no means offering me the, the gig. It was, they wanted to know what part of California I lived in because they were assuming I worked for the company in some capacity, you know? <laughs> and I had to explain, I said, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and, you know, like you had pointed out, Dave, I- I'm I two degrees, like, I'm two degrees from Disney. I'm, I'm working on license yes. stuff for Disney. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I was like, but, I, but I'm very familiar. I was like, I'm, I'm blocks away from the Laughogram studio. And I remember them kind of being like, well, that's great. Doesn't really help us at all. Um, and, and I, I could hear, I could sense the, the concern in um, his voice when he was talking to me, just kind of like, okay, this is not. Was, was this Rick? We, was this Rick this or is actually somebody? Brian, Brian Monroe. Yeah. Oh, Brian. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so Brian had made the call and I could tell um, he was ready to move on, but I kind of like pleaded my case a little bit. And he said, I'll tell you what we, you know, we're, we're doing callback auditions right now. So it's just people coming in 
to do uh, an audition in front of us. Um, he goes, I need to talk to the team and, and see what we think about you not being here in LA. Um, and we'll get back to you. Um, so the next day I was expecting a phone call and I got an email, which I just, you know, when I saw the email pop up, I assumed it was going to say thanks, but no thanks. Uh. Um, but they said, essentially they were like, look, this is on you. If you want to come out, if you want to bring yourself out to LA for this audition without the promise of it being anything, uh, and a reminder again, this is an understudy position. Uh, they said, then sure, we're, we're happy to have you out. So of course I, I wasted you no hopped, time. You hopped on a plane and flew out, right? I hopped on a plane and flew out. And, so, and your parents yeah. still lived in Pasadena, I take it, right? Uh, in California, but they're up North actually. Okay. Now, so, so, but they, they were in California. They were in the state. Yeah. Okay. In the state, I still have family down here. So I, I came and yeah, exactly. I was like, well, it's a trip to go home. Okay. Visit, visit friends and family. Yeah. So I did that. I, I flew out, um, did the in-studio audition, which to be honest, I barely remember. I mean, it was probably a 45 minute audition and it, it went by like that. Um, uh, but it was, it was cold reads, you know, it was just, they handed me some scripts. They said, here, we want to see how you, how you handle cold reads, how you handle direction. Um, I think there may have been some singing involved to see if I could sing as Mickey. Uh, and I, I just remember thinking like, you know, I'd, I'd done the initial audition. I'd practiced that before I submitted it. Um, and before that, you know, friends knew I did a Mickey voice because when we go to a park, I'd say, oh boy, or hi, pal, Mickey Mouse here. And that was it. I didn't know if I could sustain the voice for a, you know, 10, 15, 30, three hour session. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know if I could. And, and, and expand like, the vocabulary, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was like, how do you say words as Mickey? Does it just happen with that falsetto or am I capable of it? So it was nerve wracking. Yes. Can, <laughs> can Mickey say super califragilisticexpialidocious? <laughs> <laughs> Mickey probably has a, a better time of that than I do. Actually. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, no, it, it was, it was such a weird mind game to, to kind of be, in, I remember I was obsessed with, I, like after every, it felt like after every syllable, I had to take a swig of water and Rick Dempsey called me out on it. He's like, are you okay? You're drinking a lot of liquids in there. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know how this works yet. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, that, that was that audition. I, I made it through and then it was kind of, don't call us, we'll call you. Um, and so, so I take it, you didn't quit Hallmark. You just took, I'm going to take a week off and go back to California just to visit from friends and have a little vacation. Exactly. And did they yep. even know that you were auditioning or that was this it, sort of like, I, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag just yet. No, I, it was, I had told very few people and especially not Hallmark being yeah. that they were, I was still employed and collecting my salary and yeah. benefits. So, um, yeah, no, I, and that actually took a long time. It was probably another two or maybe three months after that, actually, um, before I heard anything. And, and unfortunately, I, the way I knew something was going to happen is, you know, I mentioned I was obsessed with Googling Mickey Mouse every morning to see what was going on. And one day I did that and I got the, the article that had announced Wayne had passed away. Um, so so, you, you, so, so, and that was unexpected, uh, as far as I can tell, he, he got sick rather quickly and, and passed away. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were the, the reason they were doing an understudy search was he was dealing with some health difficulties that were making it harder for him to do Mickey. 
Um, but I don't think anyone imagined it was going to go that route. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, including myself, you know, when I went in for that in-studio in audition, I remember Rick said, now Wayne's still the official voice and he's going to be the official voice. This is an understudy position. Um, he said, you know, Wayne, Wayne did go into the hospital today. Otherwise he would have loved to be here to meet the people who are auditioning. So, so you never had a chance to actually meet Wayne. I never did. Well, that's a shame. He, he was really a lovely guy. You know, he and Rusi, you know, I, yeah. I think, I think most people in our audience, our listeners know that uh, Wayne, who did the voice of uh, Mickey Mouse was married to Rusi Taylor, who did the voice of Minnie Mouse, yeah. which was yeah. just unusual and fun and hilarious. Uh, uh, a lot hilarious. Of the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, well, I always say I did not meet Wayne, but I got to know him through much, you know, or so much through people like you and, 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 and Rusi and, and Bill Farmer, um, and everyone who just kind of shared all these stories about him, um, which is, and, and, yeah, no doubt. I, I always feel like I missed out because he, nobody has anything bad to say about him. He was just, you know, hilarious um, and so talented and so kind. He, so. he was a gentle guy. He was, he was just a really sort of laid back, nice person. I, I, that was yeah. always my, but that's how I remember him anyway. Um, what yeah. was, and it was very difficult when he passed for Rusi. Um, yeah. and I, I'm just curious, like, you know, did she, you know, how did she take to you? Did you guys work together initially or, or did it take a little bit for you guys to be in the same room together? Yeah, it took a while, um, understandably so. Um, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and it wasn't, I'm trying to remember now exactly the time. I think I hadn't met her until, you know, I had officially moved out and, and had been doing it a while. Um, but well, I'll maybe, never forget that day, yeah. Yeah, and you know something? I, I Go ahead and finish that story because then I'm going to have us go backwards okay. in time. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, no, no, go ahead. That's, I like a CD shuffle conversation. Um, <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, I'll never forget the day I met Rusi because I had finished the session. They had told me that Rusi was coming in after me and, and she had finally said she would love to meet me. She was ready, um, which was intimidating as all get out. I, I remember I was, I was more nervous about meeting Rusi than I had been going to that session that day. Um, and I, I waited in the green room um, and I heard her before I ever met her. You know, I just heard this That's sweet voice coming down the hallway, giving hugs to everybody. And as you know, Rusi sounded like Minnie naturally. Yes. Um, yes. Know, she, put, yeah. she put on a little something for Minnie, a little character for Minnie, but, but she just was so warm and loving. Um, she gave me the biggest hug. And, and to this day, I always say the, one of the, my fondest memories of Rusi is the hugs that she would give yeah. the type of hug where you never knew when it was going to be done. And you always let go too soon. And she would just keep holding you tight and be like, not yet, honey. Not yet. Yes. Yes. yes <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and that's how that went. She was, she was so kind in that moment. Um, and I knew how difficult it must've been for her, but she said, you're Mickey now. Um, she goes, and it's okay. And, you're and you know what? Yeah, you know, she, I, I mean, she, look, she understood it on a business level. You she know, did. without question, but on an emotional level, I mean, she needed the time to, to get over Wayne's passing. Oh yeah. 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 And, and uh, I mean, I have no doubt that even when she met me, she probably was not over it. Like there, that was a journey for her. And, and I'm so grateful that after you, that, initial you never meeting, over, you never over it. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but yeah. she was at that place where she could, you know, give you that hug. 
yes. And that was magical to say the least. So, but um, yeah, I'm so grateful. We, we became great friends and she was always there to offer advice. And, and she, I always say she understood this role better than anybody. Um, and there's no one else I would have wanted advice from. So yeah, even though I never got to meet Wayne and never understudied with him, I'm so grateful for people like her um, and, and Bill Farmer too, who just kind of, you know, have, have mentored me, whether they knew it or not. Um, right. All these right. years. So, yeah. 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 That's amazing. So, so let me step back. <laughs> we'll do our CD shuffle <laughs> okay. here uh, and, and just say like, you know, so you're still working at Hallmark. Like when did you find out, you know, you got the gig? Like when did the official offer, like we would like you to be the make, voice of Mickey Mouse. Okay. So I had done that callback audition, um, found out Wayne passed away. And then I, shortly after that, I got a call and they said, you know, I'm sure you've heard the news. We're all devastated, but Mickey has to keep working. And, right. and as such, we'd like to, to essentially test you out in that role. They're like, we're not offering it to you, but we, we'd like to start doing some projects with you. Um, so it was um, offered that they would fly me out from Kansas City. Um, it was at that point, like every other week, I was flying out to work on a few projects. The first thing was a small little cavalcade for Animal Kingdom. And the next project was Disney on Ice. Um, and so, yeah, I was, as far as I knew on a trial basis coming out, temporarily filling in, um, it was on my second trip out and these were, you know, multi-day trips, but my second trip out, um, after the session, Rick and Brian asked me to come to the green room. They sat me down and they said, we're really happy with everything you've been doing. And, and if you'd like it, we'd like to offer you the role of Mickey Mouse. Um, and you know, I think I probably made a joke like, let me think about it for a second. Um, but I was very quick to say <laughs> I would love to, um, you know, they said, now you need to move to LA. We need you to move to LA. We need you to be here. And I, I that was not a problem for me. Um, so uh, to answer your question earlier, did, did Hallmark know? They still didn't know at this point. So I was kind of just taking vacation days and I would fly, <laughs> fly out to LA and hop back and go back to work. Um, and I continued to do that even after they had offered me the job. Um, cause I, there were some loose ends in Kansas city. I had to tie up. And, sure. and so I was trying to, you know, sell my house and, and, and do all that stuff and, and ride the Hallmark train as long as I could. But, um, and I was really, I, I hadn't quite been there five years yet, but I was getting really close to my anniversary. So I waited till my anniversary. They threw me this great party as they do for any anniversary at Hallmark. And, um, Unrelated to my current circumstances, just because they knew I was a Mickey fan, they they picked all the Mickey party wear that they had and decorated the the room for my fifth anniversary. Um, and I remember and li- my and little did they know, right? Little did they know. And I remember my my boss got up and gave a speech, and he goes, five years, you know that you're in it for the long haul. So we're really excited to see what the next five years bring for you here at Hallmark." And I'm sitting there going, "Oh no, oh, oh no." no. And I, I think it was, I don't, I think I, I had some tact and I didn't go right after the party. I think I waited until the next day. I went to his office and I said, so here's the deal. I've been presented with this amazing lifetime opportunity and I, I need to, to put in my, my two weeks. And, uh, you know, I kind of expected him to say, no, please don't go. But he just said, wow, okay, cool. Well, we're sorry to see you leave. 
and that was kind of it. Well, so. you know something though. I I, I mean, uh, not not being there, but I could imagine. You know, I mean, I I supervised the whole group of people, and I could imagine. You know, because I've had people come in and say, you know, I got this great opportunity, and I was always super supportive. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, that's fantastic! You should take that opportunity. You yeah. know, because these things only come sometimes once in a lifetime, especially yep. like being being you know cast as the voice <laughs> of Mickey Mouse. That's like yeah. a once in a lifetime thing you you can't pass that up so i'm i'm yeah. hopeful that they were very happy for you oh and and they were they were i mean my whole hallmark family threw me this amazing going away party they all made custom mickey ears and um i had i had a very great send-off so um yeah I, i'm so grateful for those years with them um but it was you know it served its purpose it was time to move on and this opportunity like you said once in a lifetime well, the thing is, and the thing is too, they knew your heart. They knew where your heart was. Yeah. And so they knew that about you. And it's like, you know, we're not, we're not going to hold this against you because it's your lifelong dream. They knew that about you. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. There was no doubt actually. Yeah. That, that, that is so awesome. So you, you tied up the loose ends in Kansas city and loaded up your car and you drove to Beverly. Uh, it, it's right. That's, yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so, you, and so you got re, you, you you relocated to Los Angeles and you've just been consistently now doing the voice of Mickey. And I'm imagining with the size of the company, there's there, it's just like nonstop. Are you are you working almost weekly? Uh, yes, definitely weekly. Um, and, and I'm so lucky and fortunate in that aspect because not all uh, voiceover roles work that frequently. Right. Um, and and, you know especially since I had never done or been in the voice acting business before. When I first started, I was, you know, determined to focus only on Mickey. I wasn't, I didn't have an agent. I wasn't doing auditions. I wasn't looking for anything else. I just wanted to do the Mickey stuff. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's like, you know, I'm working on something for the theme parks one day, the next day it's something for the, the cruise line. And then Mattel comes in with a couple toys or there's a video game or a consumer products has something. Um, so it, it is really nonstop, especially when, um, like currently we're working on, um, the TV show, Mickey Mouse Funhouse. So right, right. that's, that's, I mean, when we've got TV shows, that's super consistent. And, um, and, and just, just for our, our audience, our listeners, when, when you do a session, it's a four hour block, right? Is it still a four hour block? It's, it can be at most four hours. Yeah. So okay. yeah, oftentimes, yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's uh, it's usually that long. Um, yeah. And, and when you do a four hour block, would you like, let's say you did a four hour block in the morning, would you book a four hour block in the afternoon or are you pretty much done after four hours? I, there have been a few instances where, you know, Disney character voices has some stuff for me and then TV animation has something. And so I'll, I will do two blocks. Um, yeah. But you know, the longer I've been doing this, the the more aware I've become of my limitations with the voice. Sure. Um, so or in the early days, you know, I would just power through. I was determined that four hours I was going to give you Mickey the whole time, no matter how my voice felt. Um, but now but I've you, learned that. But, but you can hurt your voice. You can. Yeah. Just yeah. like, you know, I always everyone always says, you know, what special things do you do to preserve Mickey's voice? And I always say, you know, common sense, essentially, like just like anyone talking straight for four hours would get a little hoarse. Yeah. Talking like Mickey, especially when it's high energy stuff, it can, it can tear up the voice very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, I might make it through that four hour session, but then I'm no good for the next three days. So, um, yeah, I just, and, I have and to that's, be very and that's no good to anybody. No, no, because, yeah. 
the other part of it is, you know, yeah, I'm working weekly and there are circumstances sometimes where, you know, I don't have anything on the books this week, but I wouldn't be surprised if I got an email or a call tomorrow that said, Hey, we've got something that just popped up. Can you come in in a couple hours or can you come in tomorrow? So that happens all the time. Um, now, are you doing uh, are you doing the voiceover work from your own home studio, uh, or are you actually going into uh, the studio uh, voice, you know, recording uh, facilities? Well, right now I, we're back going into the studio facilities. So, you know, I'm I'm talking to you live from my little audition closet that I converted. Right. Um, yeah. right uh, coincidentally, right before the pandemic, so it, it did come in handy because. Um, yeah, once the pandemic and lockdown started, I was doing TV shows and a few small things out of my home booth. Um, and, 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 and our listeners should know that one of the few entertainment industries that was impacted during the, uh, the uh, COVID pandemic uh, was animation. Uh, I, yeah. I know tons of people who are working like crazy hours on all kinds yeah. of shows. And they're all working at home, doing storyboards, doing animation, you know, the whole nine yards. All these, all these features and TV shows were still being done, but the artists were just working out of their houses. Yep. It really didn't slow down. Thankfully yeah. for us. Yeah. Now, now you've been doing the voice for how many years? It was actually just 13 years, two weeks ago or last okay. week, maybe. Yeah. Just celebrate happy, 13 happy years. Happy 13th anniversary. <laughs> Thank uh, you. And uh, uh, do you, do you now have an agent or, you know, I'm, I'm imagining you have an agent who's handling yep. all your bookings, but are you doing other voices? Um, yeah. So that was one of the things I, I waited, I think it was eight or nine years before I finally got an agent. It was kind of, it was explained to me the benefits of having an agent. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad I have one. Um, and, you know, yeah, I've, I, I occasionally audition for some stuff um, and I've gotten a few smaller things here, there, but it's, it's really, not, Mickey continues to be my main focus. Sure. Um, and, and I do say I am very fortunate and I have the luxury of being a little bit more choosy, I guess it were, uh, you could say when it comes to voice acting, um, because I've still maintained my artistic design side. Um, oh, so, so, so you're still generating artwork. You're doing illustrations yeah, and stuff. I still, yeah, I still taking on freelance work. Um, I started a, a small design consultation company back in 2015. So that's kept me busy. So I've, I've kind of been juggling, uh, you know, it's, it's voiceover and it's the artwork. And so where a lot of voice actors who are, who are solely focused on voice acting are just constantly in the grind of finding the next role. Um, again, I, I, I recognize how fortunate I am that I can rely that Mickey's going to keep working. And in the in-betweens, I just take on the, the artwork uh, side of things, which is, it serves, it, it um, appeases both of my creative outlets. So, uh, uh, which I loves. think is fantastic, but, but you're not, you're not going to do any kind of like in a world far, far away, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be doing yeah. those kinds of like trailer things and things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're primarily focused on animation and, and, you know, occasionally doing some other voices or even developing a character voice for, you know, uh, a show. Yeah. That, and, and you know, that's where that's, that's the world I've, I've got the most experience in thanks to Mickey. So yeah, that's yeah. where I, my primarily, where I focus uh, mostly, but um, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to doing other stuff. I think it'd be really cool to just book a commercial gig where you're just talking like yourself, you yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> promoting some product or whatever. Um, you know, mostly that's a bunch of celebrities now who do that, those recognizable voices. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, for, for branding. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, 
kind of have always been this way. I'm never opposed to any opportunity as it comes. I, I, I love the challenge of something new. So if something like that was to come about, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd try it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Now you've done a couple of live performances because they, they have the, the rope. I'm going to call it a robotic Nikki head, but (laughs) but what's the actual, what's the actual name of that head? The official term is articulated head, the the articulated Mickey head. (laughs) And, and that first came out a number of years ago. And I think uh, the, the, the walk around Mickey uh, appeared with Bob Iger on stage. Right. And you were, you were like backstage essentially doing the voice. Yeah. I was like the wizard of Oz. Um, yeah. it was, it was actually just 10 years ago, um, for the rededication or no, it was for the premiere of world of color. This that was, was it. Yes. It was yeah. why I worked on world of color. That's yeah. yeah. That's why. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and yeah, Bob Iger came out and Mickey was there and, and that was the first. So we had been working on with the articulated head for a while with, um, Imagineering research and development because it was it was planned to be implemented into the parks in some capacity. So we'd been doing some play testing and all of this stuff, and then World of Color premiere came, and they they agreed that they would let Mickey speak live for that event. Um, so yeah, I was I was way backstage. You'd, you'd think I was just like around the corner. No, I was like back behind the Hyperion or something. I, well, I was going to say, were you in the command center for World of Color? No. Because oh, no. I know where that is. Yeah. You know, when I worked on the show, that was like a tin building backstage. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And then that probably would have made a lot more sense than where I ended up. Because <laughs> I think I was, I was in like a shipping container. Uh, back, oh. I feel like somewhere in a parking lot. I was so far away. I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, it was, it was so funny. And then, you know, we, of course we had cameras there so we could see the live feed and that's how I knew what was going on. And, yeah. um, and, and we'd worked so closely with the character performers um, the friends of Mickey, as it were. And, and so we had really developed this like simpatico relationship where, you know, their movements would inform Mickey's speak or speak his, his speak, his, his speech. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, um, and then, uh, but vice versa, what Mickey was saying would inform the, the movement. So it was a really right. cool experience. Um, yeah. I remember I was so, if you go back and watch the, the footage of that on YouTube, I'm sure it's there. Um, there's one part where I, I kind of jumped a line and Mickey just goes, oh, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Bob just kind of stops and looks at Mickey like, Mickey, you going to say something? And, and Mickey just sits there rocking like, oh, no one heard anything. So I remember at that point I was like, ah, oh, crap. Gotta be really careful. Um, oh boy! You don't want to mess up in front of Bob, but really, yeah. <laughs> oh Bob! Oh crap! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we had uh, we had so much fun with that, and, and it wasn't too much longer after that that the um, that the whole California Adventure got rededicated, and so again they yeah. had Bob on stage and Mickey was there, um, and the, that involved like gosh a week of overnight rehearsals, which. Oh, I, I know them well. I know yeah, them well. Yeah. I know that I know that park extremely well uh, overnight. <laughs> yeah, overnight. And, and you know, for this Disney nerd, it was it was cool for like the first two nights. You're like, yeah, the park's empty. This is great. And then when you're, you know, can't get enough coffee to keep yourself up. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember one night in particular, you know, it was articulated head. It was live. They had the ability to have Mickey say anything, but they were so set on Mickey just sticking to the script. And so at a certain point I realized, well, you might as well have just recorded this. Um, so on one of the rehearsals, 
you know, just gone over and over and over again. And they had this big group of cast members. I forget how many it was. And they all came out for this big grand finale moment. And uh, Mickey's on stage. And I just decided to have a little fun. And I was, you know, the director called Cut. And, and so Mickey just started talking to the director. You know, I, I remember there was some performers who were coming in riding these giant flamingo puppets. And Mickey was just like, huh, Randy, I had a question. Do you think it's possible to ride one of those flamingos in? And, and everyone's just like, what? Mickey's, Mickey's talking. Like, <laughs> this isn't on script. What's happening? And I think it was the night before the opening. So this crowd had gathered on the Esplanade out front. And you, they were all like listening and watching so intently through the gates. And you could hear them erupt with laughter and cheers because they were listening to Mickey. And I remember feeling pretty powerful in that moment. <laughs> like, I, I can say a lot of stuff right now, but I'm not going to. That's fantastic. That's so yeah. fantastic. So what what's one of the most memorable moments uh, of doing Mickey's voice over the last 13 years? Oh, it's so hard for me to to pick moments. It's like, there's been too many good ones. Um, the articulated head was definitely one of them. And especially when we did some playtesting at Disneyland and later Disney world. Um, and, and I remember that experience really kind of enlightened me um, to how impactful and how powerful, powerful Mickey's character is because people would come up to him, adults and children alike, and they would, they'd lose it. They'd either be ecstatic or they'd be overly emotional. You know, mm-hmm. they'd share private things with Mickey. Um, and uh, so that was really impactful. I think if I was to go down the, the, the route of the fan, the Disney geek in me, the most, the coolest experience I had was when they updated Fantasmic. Um, gosh, I think that was six years ago now. And they had me re-record all the lines. And Fantasmic oh. is the show that I really kind of honed my Mickey voice by listening to. So I was listening to Wayne's lines in that show as a little kid. Um, you know, I was playing Fantasmic, essentially. I was in my room, just kind of flashing lights and, and singing and talking along with the soundtrack. So when I had the chance to update that and, and uh, replace it, I was a little hesitant. I won't lie. I, I remember saying at the start of the session now, is, is this extremely necessary to replace all of Wayne's stuff or can we just sprinkle some stuff in? And, and they explained to me it was the best option just to kind of re-record everything. So um, yeah, that when I finally got to see that play live um, and hear my voice, that was, that was a, a really cool full circle moment for me. Um, wow. to, to think about little Brett Disney fan, you know, and then whatever that was 20, 30 years later um, to, to have reached that point. So, you know, I, I have to say, I think anybody who's been involved with Disney and Disney animation, especially there is that moment where we all realize how impactful what you're doing is on people's lives. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, from, you know, from the letter that, you know, a a mother wrote in after Lion King released about Mm -hmm. how that film helped their child, you know, her child get through the loss of her husband and his father, you know, like those kinds of things. They really, I, I, I get a little emotional now, even talking about some Mm -hmm. of that stuff because you, you just, you know, you, every one of us has had that moment where it's, it's a realization of the impact of what you are doing on a lot of people out there. Yeah. Globally, globally. Absolutely. And, and thank God for those moments because, you know, 
the real, reality of it is, regardless of your role at a company like Disney, it, it does become a job at some point, right? And, and, and so there are things that happen just like any other job. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I'm not a bit of a cynic sometimes, you know, where, sure. oh, really? I have, to, I have to go in to record two lines today? Like, that's ridiculous. But, <laughs> um, you know, I'm constantly reminded how lucky I am, how blessed I am, how fortunate I am. And, and, and when you have those moments, like you just mentioned, that letter or an interaction with a fan and, and you just are reminded of how impactful the brand is, the, you know, the magic's real. The yeah. It's real. And it does keep you grounded. I think. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it plants your feet firmly back on the ground. You yeah. know, when sometimes you feel like you're getting a little ahead of yourself, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, no. And, and everybody does, you know, of course. But, but, yeah. but it's those, it's those things that kind of pull you back and go, wow, you know what I'm yeah. doing, you know, it, it transcends a job. It transcends Absolutely. working for a company, you know, yeah. that sometimes you become cynical about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it transcends all of those things because, yeah. you know, when you have that little four-year-old girl who walks up and makes a sweet comment to you, it, it's just like you melt, you know, yeah. and yeah. and you're a puddle that realizes, oh my gosh, you know, like she, you know, she believes it all. Yeah. And rightfully so, you know, I mean, that's part of childhood. It is. Yeah. That's what, that's what you want. I heard a great story one time that Wayne and Rusi, you know, they, they did a lot of hospital phone calls to to children in the hospital. And, and in one call in particular, I guess the, the kid didn't want to take their medicine. And, and so uh, Rusi got on and said, you know, sometimes Pluto doesn't want to take his medicine, but, but when he does, he feels so much better. Um, And I guess they got a follow-up to that call, however long later. And they said the kid started taking his medicine because Mickey and Minnie yeah. shared that Pluto takes his medicine. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's and, you know, it's amazing. That, that That's a good point you make. I mean, do, do you do calls to kids in the hospitals and stuff like yeah. that? Because I think most of the voice talent that I've worked with over the years, you know, excuse me, Bill and Wayne and Rusi and Tony and everybody kind of does those sort of things. Um, uh, and, and are they uh, make a wish foundation kind of things, or are they just, you know, requests that come out of left field? I, a little bit of both. So yeah. we've, we've definitely partnered with make a wish um, quite a few times, which is, you know, it's like you said, very humbling to be a part of that. Um and then, you know, through my agency, I've been connected with another group. Um, I think they're called Famous Phone a Friend. And, and so they send in special requests. And a lot of times Mickey gets requests. And then, of course, yeah, you just get the random request with, with social media now. Everyone's so accessible. Yeah. Um, and so occasionally I'll, I'll get those requests that get unfiltered and come to me or, or friends of friends and whatnot. And, you know, it, people are always so hesitant. <laughs> right, I guess I shouldn't say always, but Oftentimes I sense a little hesitancy for people to say, you know, do you, do you mind calling? And it's like, that's the easiest thing I could do to just give up a few minutes of my day to, to call a kid or to, or to make a message and, and send it along. So, yeah. Um, yeah, those, those moments are, are, you know, beyond they're, special. Well, they're beautiful and they, and they, they're so impactful and yeah. they, they really take uh, very little time for you to do it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, uh, what, what do you view? Like you, you've been doing the voice for 13 years. I mean, this is a lifetime gig. 
uh, in, in, in a sense, in yeah. a sense, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, I mean, well, look, you're four degrees from Walt Disney, yeah, right? Or, or yeah. would I, would it be three degrees? Uh, three degrees, yeah, that, three degrees, I guess. Yeah. yeah, you're three degrees from Walt Disney, <laughs> you know, and, and and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, so what do you what do you view the future as? I mean, you know, Mickey's popularity over the decades since he you know premiered in Steamboat Willie, you know, he he kind of waned a little bit in yeah. uh, popularity and towards the end of the 30s, and Donald was kind of taking over. Uh, but uh, it, it seems like he's been consistent. Yeah, uh, that's a good and, word. And and, and, and sort of, uh, I, I don't want to say plateaued, but somewhat leveled out uh, where there's a consistency from generation to generation. Do you, do you yeah. see that or do you have you seen in the 13 years a little bit of sort of peaks and valleys? Um, I know I, I would completely agree with the consistency and the, you know, maybe not plateau, but it, it that, that thread runs through. I definitely have seen. Um, the, how do I phrase this? The, the recognition, you know, the, the, the initiatives that have popped up every now and then, you know, the let's rejuvenate Mickey. Let's, let's make him cooler. Let's, how can we, how can we do this, that, and the other? Let's hip um, him up with a beard. Let's, let's hip him up with the beard. Let's, <laughs> let's give him say, oh gosh, I did one show at the parks and, and no offense to whoever worked on it down at the parks, but it was like a hip hop dancing, break dancing Mickey. And it was probably the worst part of my career. Um, it's one of those things where you're like, this isn't good. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, I, you know, those things right out of the gate. You know, you? you're just like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Can, can we just have um, Mickey play drums? Because that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really interesting to have this perspective that I do have um, because you know, I'm not always on board with some of the newer things that are happening with the character um, because I'm, I'm just kind of, I, like I mentioned at the start of this, I, I gravitate towards that classic stuff. You know, my favorites yeah. are the brave little tailor and the pointer. Sure. Um, and so styling wise and story wise, I always gravitate towards that. Um, so it is hard sometimes to say, I'm like, is that really a good idea? Um but, yeah, but I, I was going to ask you that because you've been doing the voice now for 13 years. You're feeling very, you know, secure and comfortable uh, doing the voice. Uh, do you weigh in on some of the dialogue that comes across? I mean, you you must get lines uh, and go, gee, you know, Mickey would never really say that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm a lot more comfortable now. I remember that kind of being expressed to me as something I, I could do or should aspire to do. And yeah. early on, I was like, it's not my place. I have to trust the people that I'm around. But now I, I'm a lot more confident to be able to say, yeah, Mickey wouldn't say that. Let's, let's change it this way or, or, and maybe not even have direct dialogue like that, but in, on one of the reads, just offer them something a little bit more in line with what I think Mickey would say. And I, more often than not, that's the one they're going to gravitate towards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially on the TV shows, um, you know, I'm a big believer in the relationships we form in these situations and, and work relationships. And so sure. I've just tried to establish trust in me, you know, and, and thankfully I think I've gotten there now, 13 years later where the directors 
Yeah. And, and you know something I, I've, I, you know, I've, I've been in the booth with talent and I've, I've had those conversations and I'm very respectful of the person doing the voice. Yeah. You know, like, you know, uh, you or Bill Farm or a Tony or, you know, uh, Jim Cummings with, yep. with Pooh and Tigger, you know, it's like, you guys know the characters so much better. I mean, I, I, I love the characters and I feel like I, I know a lot of the history of it, but yeah. you know, the new, nuanced performances sure. really well because you've studied them, you know? Yeah. And so for me, I, I tended to defer uh, to the voice talent if there was a question and I would always say, okay, you know, let's do it. You know what, how you're suggesting it, you yeah. know, which and, is, yeah, that's when you have someone like you <laughs> on the other side of the glass, that's so it makes the experience that much more enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. It's collaborative. You know, the, the the funny the funny one that I did was with John Cleese who was doing oh. the uh, the narration for some Winnie the Pooh uh, films I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know it was written in like American English and he's English English <laughs> yeah. you know and, yeah. and and every so often on the script he'd say uh, Dave. Uh, I think, you know, I, it would be better <laughs> if I said it this way, you know, I, I can't yeah, really yeah. do an accent, you know, <laughs> him, but, but he was just a lovely guy and yeah. he felt very comfortable making those suggestions and he did it in a very nice way. Of course. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, Hey, I'm totally Whatever. fine with that, John. <laughs> yeah. I struggle with American English every day. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't tell a Brit how to speak English. Yeah, really. that's, for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. What, where, where do you, where do you see uh, Mickey going in, in the coming decades? Because you're going to be doing Gosh. him. I mean, yeah. are you, are you kind of feeling like the, they'll be, some variations and deviations uh, from the norm as we go forward, which there typically are. Yeah, uh, but 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 his integrity is going to be intact. His integrity will be intact, and I'll, I'll tell you the vibe I've been getting lately is, uh, you know, everyone says the pendulum always swings, right? Yeah. And, um, I I do feel like I'm on, I'm witnessing the the swinging going in a direction that I'm a big fan of right now, which is kind of recognizing and accepting the qualities that make Mickey so um, uh, uh, evergreen um, are the ones that we should be working with the most. And instead of focusing on how do we edge him, edge him up, hip him up or young, you know, it's like, let's just like, let's get into that part of the character. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think, especially with Disney plus and and the need for a lot more content, I'm, I'm, thinking that we're going to see Mickey um, in a whole new light, but also being that character that we know and love and, and hopefully not being such a weird offshoot that we're all like, huh? Yeah, um, no, but I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, it's the consistency that uh, uh, and the genuineness of Mickey that, that has transcended generationally yes. and, and why he continues forward. And I think that if they try to do things that are here and now uh, to, to make him hip, you know, I, I, yeah. I jokingly said, you know, give him a beard because all the hipsters have hipsters, beards now, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, but that, that to me uh, is, is how you actually smother and kill a character. Yes. Uh, because those things are flashing the pan in, culturally. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like bell bottoms or polyester shirts and medallions, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's yeah. that kind of a thing. You, you have to keep him. Uh, and, and again, I was never opposed 
to him, you know, wearing a bicycle helmet and riding a skateboard, you know, sure. I mean, yeah. those kinds of things are, are kind of fun, but, but his personality, his persona, yeah. uh, and, and his values, his integrity, all of those things need to maintain the consistency. Yeah. You know, something that, uh, I witnessed very early on in my career is people love to take a character that is so timeless and consistent and, and wholesome. And they, there's like this temptation to see him kind of, uh, in like put through uh, a meat grinder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like people will come up to me and say, Oh, you, you know, does Mickey ever curse? Say, say this, like say F you or something. And I'm like, no, Mickey yeah. wouldn't say that. Right. But, but, and, and maybe that's too far of a stretch to equate it to that. But I do think there is an audience who's, who wants to see these characters go that way. And sometimes, unfortunately, I think there's creative direction that gets tempted by that. They're like, what if we just kind of, you know, twist it this way just a little bit? Let's see what happens. Maybe he'll become cooler. And it's like, no, that it doesn't work. Like you said, it just yeah. ends up being a flash in the pan. It ends up, you know, eventually you go a few years later and you go, you know what? That didn't, wasn't really smart. Let's just kind of sweep that under the rug and pretend it yeah. never happened. It, and it, it becomes a meme that the college students have, uh, yes. you know, are, are laughing at for five minutes and yeah. until they're on to the next meme. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but anyway, I guess to answer your question, where do I see Mickey going? I, I guess I will say, I hope that he just kind of continues to, that we continue to celebrate, um, like the, the core of him, you know, the yeah. thing that's been so consistent for so long and, and sure. just, you know, keep Walt's legacy alive through him. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's a great way to wrap up this episode, Brett. Um, I, I, I'm so thrilled. And, and Al John, I want to ask you, 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 Put your hand up. Do you have a question? Well, we do a few things because I know that you are still doing a tremendous amount of art. You know, Disney selling your fine art. You've got these amazing posters that Cyclops, Cyclops Printworks is doing that you're still doing this great work with. But you're also meeting the fans. I mean, uh, you just came back from Dallas. Do you have any other fan cons that you have coming up uh, that you want to talk about? Oh gosh, uh, that's a good question for my calendar on my phone. I'm so bad at it. Um, no, I know I'm taking I'm taking a little bit of a break this summer, um, just okay. to kind of do some family stuff. Um, I'm going on a delayed honeymoon. Um, there you and- go. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. So, yes. um, but I do know that I'll I'll be in Rhode Island okay. later on in the fall. I think. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I always post it on my Instagram when, when the little reminder pops up on my phone and says, hey, you're going to this town. No. I'm like, oh, I should probably tell people. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, it has been really cool to do those things. So, of course, I'll be at the D23 Expo um, in September. Um, and I, I get to join a Disney Vacation Club cruise going to Alaska oh. uh, at the end of August. So I'll be on that. Awesome. Awesome. Vacation club members listening. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing too is yes, we'll make sure everyone follows your Instagram because it's great. You can follow all the stuff you're doing, all the great art and design work that you're doing. But the other thing is you recently designed and collaborated with Disney parks uh, with this um, ear hat, which was absolutely amazing by the way. Thank you. I have to, are there any more collaborations for that ear or for other ear hats maybe in the works? Because uh, first of all, explain, I missed out. Explain, explain what that ear hat is. So to, the to ear, the okay, Brett, do you want to talk to him about it? 
since you sure. designed it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it I think it kind of started around Mickey's 90th. They did a whole campaign with these designer ears, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the designers. And so I made mine, I wanted them to feel very retro and kind of celebrate uh the fact that Mickey Mouse is the first cartoon character to 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 have a voice and a synchronized cartoon. So um, I made his ears look like vintage microphones, kind of the old style uh, ribbon mic um, thing. And then the ear hat itself was kind of the traditional felt um, with some leather accents and stitching, which I kind of wanted to emulate like a letterman's jacket, which just felt very mm-hmm. 50s and classic Disney to me um, with a custom patch that said MMC kind of harkening uh, back to the old RCA logo. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just wanted, it had like some vintage, vintage touches and a little on air, uh, crest on the top of it. I mean, of course you pressed a button and you heard Mickey's voice. So that was really cool. Um, and, and, you know, to design Mickey ears, that's a big deal. Um, and while I don't have any plans for future Mickey ears right now, um, I still have that relationship with Disney parks merchandising and, um, we're still talking. So hopefully there'll be something else in the future. I got to do a whole line of clothing last summer, which was crazy. I never thought I'd be a fashion designer. I still don't consider myself one, but I got to submit some artwork for it. Um, and that was really cool. So yeah, that, that collaboration is hopefully still going. Yeah. We want a sequel. We want a sequel. <laughs> I missed out on the collector ears. I have to say my friend got them instead, but oh, I'm, I'm, no. look, I'm looking, I'm searching eBay for them. I will get them one day, oh. but uh, we're looking for the sequel. And Brett, we want to make sure everyone hits you up on Instagram, follows you and everything that you have going on and, and pick up some of that great uh, merchandise and that uh, Disney fine art that you have out there. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for that plug. I appreciate it. Brett. It was absolute pleasure having you on the Skull Rock podcast. I look forward to having you back. Uh, yes. we're, we're definitely going to have you back. I've often thought about trying to get a couple of the voice actors together and do sort of a fun holiday skit or something online. Oh, I, yeah. don't know, I don't know how, uh, you know, like a, a, a like a very short, like a couple of minute radio play or something like that. I, I, I'd love uh, that. I, I think it would be fun. You're, you guys can do that kind of stuff, can't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, better than anyone, the yeah. parameters and, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, so, a, yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's all clean dialogue and, yeah. uh, and it's not for sale. So yeah, exactly. there you have it, there you have it. <laughs> so, but, but it's, it's free entertainment for, for the fans. Yes, you know? for sure. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, listen, have a fantastic time on your, uh, your, uh, Delayed honeymoon. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, we, I'm imagining it was delayed because of the um, uh, pandemic. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, planning and whatnot. So we, sure. we decided to take our time. Well, have a fantastic time. Uh, we look forward thank to having you. you back. And and again, thank you for being on the Skull Rock Podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, you guys. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. What a fun and just warm, genuine human being, Brett Iwan. Yeah, you know, he, he's really a terrific guy. He really is. And uh, it, it's such a pleasure talking with him. Uh, and, you know, I haven't seen him in person, you know, since before the pandemic. I mean, so it's been years now, uh, but it was great seeing him uh, uh, on this interview and uh, just, just a wonderful person. I love 
the uh, the fact that he worked at Hallmark Cards, uh, you know, and and there's been such a long term relationship with Hallmark and Disney. Uh, so, uh, just, just terrific. I, I hope our listeners really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, I, I interviewed Brett several times, uh, on the old show, um, Disney list, and he's just an amazing human being. I love what he does. He's so charitable. He does stuff for Laughagram studios and all the fundraisers and stuff he's done there. And, uh, he's just quite a talent and just so, so kind and generous with people and his fans. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in him, once again, don't forget to check out Brett Iwan on Instagram. He's there. It's probably the best place for him to, uh, for you to check out all of his artwork. We'll have links to his art that he's selling online. You can get some of his, uh, uh, great artwork and, um, replica art that he's uh, selling online. So please be sure to do that. And we look forward to more of his voicings and Mickey mouse and, uh, upcoming Disney plus shows and video games. I can't wait for that. Dave, it's been a tremendous show, and don't forget, gang, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as give us those follows on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn for Dave and myself. Be sure to check out the show archives there at anchor.fm. Uh, you'll be sure to do that. Send us those emails as well, Dave and Aljon at Skull Rock Podcast. Dot com And just another quick plug, don't forget to check out Dave's brand new refreshed website with his art. Just click on davidbossert.com, click that author drop down, and you'll see Dave's artwork for that awesome uh, display of some awesome cult, uh, you know, uh, sculptures that you've done. Because you, uh, you've been a sculptor all your life. I really have. I mean, I, you know, that's one, one of my passions, you know, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and don't forget too to register to win that book too, which is now back in stock. You don't have to register to win that, uh, Claude Coates, Walt Disney Imagineering book, making of Disneyland. Uh, you can go ahead and purchase it using the link that I'll have in the show notes, but, uh, it's back in stock and you can definitely win yourself a copy signed by Alan Coates as well as Dave Bossard himself, the man here on this show. So uh, go ahead and make it happen here over the next few days before we close the contest out. U.S. residents only, please. Dave, you've got the final word. Well, as always, Al John, and thank you very much for the shout out there. Uh, as always, uh, go out, have a fantastic week. It's summertime. Uh, try and stay cool if you're in those areas where the heat is boiling. Uh, and we'll look forward to having you back here next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast has been made possible by listeners like you. We would like to thank our show producers, Randall Lynch, Lindsay Scaffey, Spencer Wright, and Joshua Volker. To become a producer, become a monthly supporter of the show, please visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast and click the support button. What's going on? It's Al John and Kristen here. Summer's in full swing. The travel guru herself has got an awesome travel deal for you to kick things off. Kristen, tell us all about it. So those of you California residents, there is a special ticket offer just for you. You can purchase a three-day ticket with admission to one park per day for as low as $83 per day. This deal is good now through September 15th of 2022. Nice. And for all your cruising needs, any cruise line, Disneyland, Walt Disney World, or even Universal theme parks here in the States, 
Where can people email you for their free quote and have you book their next vacation? At themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.